verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Just think there with me, is born of God. One thing to say is that not every human being is a child of God. It is those who have believed that Jesus, the man Jesus, is the Christ, that is the anointed one, the God's anointed king of Israel. People who believe that are born of God. Now why the need to be born of God? And why would that even be a good thing? I think it's because the Bible sees uh, the world and John sees the world as there only being two groups of people. Everybody is born under Adam and is therefore under the power of the devil. Uh, look with me at verse 519. Look what he says there in 519. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Massive statements. Look at chapter 3, verse 10, which might be back a page. This is how we know, this is 3, verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. The Gospel of John is the same. Romans chapter 5 is the same. The Bible only sees two different groups of people and everybody is born under Adam and the devil rules that world, that group of people. That's the Bible's view on the world. That includes everybody. Every other religion is a false religion and it's and its adherents are not on a, on a path to enlightenment or getting closer to God, John says they are children of the devil. I'm not making this up. The need to be born of God could not be higher. And the blessing of being born of God could not be greater. Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Basically what it means is everybody gets born once and they get born into Adam. But we need a new birth. We need to, we need to, we need to come into a new world. And God is making a whole new world. So we need to be born again. And that happens through Jesus. We must be born again. And everybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born again. The second thing is that love for the Father and love for children are so intertwined. Check this out. It's in verse uh, 1 again. And everyone who loves the Father... Loves his child as well. John's saying, in order to understand that you guys are believers, 
He's saying the way that it works is there's such a connection here, I can just simply say it. I can just simply say, whoever loves the father, the begetter, loves the children that have been begotten by him. That's just the way that it is. And so we can see, and John wants his people to see, that that's the that there's a there's a, an organic connection there. As we love that those who have been born of God, we can see that we have ourselves been born of God. So we have faith in Christ and we have love for those who have been born of God. Next, we can look at the, at the interconnectedness of love and obedience. Look in verse 3. Oh, sorry, or is this verse 2? Yeah, this is how we know that we love the children of God. That's a good question. By loving God and carrying out his command. And you think, what's going on there? And then John carries on. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. So in John's mind, command keeping and love are not at odds with one another. He says, in fact, this is love to keep his commands, which comes as a bit of a jolt. I don't know about you, but that comes as a bit of a jolt for me uh, because I feel in some way programmed to think that, that commands are intrinsically at odds with love and obedience, that there's a kind of disconnect between these two such that you've kind of got... Uh, rules on the one hand and love on the other hand and they don't go together. But John doesn't see it cashing out that way either. John sees it cashing out as this is love to obey the commands. And perhaps that just means that this is a, a text for us where our thinking needs to be reoriented a bit to see that commands are not, is not a swear word. To obey God is a good thing. And it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Of course we would want to obey God and love God. How much, how brilliant. What a joy. Especially, so if we love him, it would make perfect sense to obey him. In fact, John can go on and say, and his commands are not burdensome. And then, why is that, John? Well, verse 4, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And so now we have the power of faith. The power of the combination of being born again by faith. His commands are not burdensome because everyone born of God overcomes the world. I think they are not burdensome because of being born again. Being born with a new, uh, there's a kind of, um, in another part of, of John, he says, that the, the person who believes in, in Jesus can't keep sinning because God's seed is in him and therefore he can't keep on sinning. And so I think there's a kind of, 
principle of God's seed is now at work and it's a new seed and it's a seed that um, uh, loves righteousness, does what is right and good and uh, is therefore able to say no to the so-called world, which earlier in John is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Which John says are not from the world, are not from God, but are from the world. And so the power to overcome that comes only from God by uh, his implanted seed, which has made the, the believers born again. If you're thinking to yourself, this is a little bit all over the place, that's a bit how it feels in the text. And I think that's John is, it's a, it's a network of things that John is saying, this thing here is connected to this thing here. Your faith is connected to being born again. Your being born again is connected to your love that you have for the other believers. Your love that you have for the other believers gives evidence that you love God. That you love God is evidence that you trust in Jesus. And so they, all of them are interconnected like this. So I think John is saying in this thing about who is it that overcomes the world... It's the one who's been born again. This is the victory. This is verse 4 still. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. It's that I think he's writing to them because they can see that this principle is at work in their lives and therefore it gives evidence that God is at work in their lives. And it's good for us to have a check on that. This is a diagnostic letter and it's helpful for us to uh, apply this diagno- these diagnostics to our own lives. Do we see that principle at work? The saying no to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That is, loving the other people who are Christians and that is obedient to God's commands. That's evidence that God has been at work in your life. Then we look at uh, the way that this converges on the sun. Who is it that overcomes the world? So who is this person? And John now wants to take us back up to faith. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And I think what he's saying here is that there's actually no other power over there's no other power in the world to get you out of that, of that position of being born into Adam and born under condemnation and born under sin and born under, into the reign and the rule of the devil than to believe in Christ. Uh, and only the one who believes in Je- that Jesus is the Son of God is the one then who experiences that power in their lives. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The centrality of Jesus and the exclusivity of Jesus, which, of course, as we know, grates against uh, popular culture. I'm aware that 
large portions, if not everything that I've said so far, is wildly unpopular. And so we should expect that it would be. But there is clearly here that all of this only happens in Jesus, according to John. It's only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God who overcomes the world. And then, what's the next thing John has to say? Verse 6, he then elaborates on Jesus. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. What's going on? I would love to tell you. But the truth is, I don't entirely know. And I'm not sure that anybody has known. Maybe they, they do. Maybe, maybe that's too, too, uh, too uh, cynical. I think the least, the, 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 the best I do know, just to say something on these verses, is that uh, how, uh, how to put it, the thing at the top is the testimony about Jesus. It's the message about Jesus. And there are three things that testify uh, to this message about Jesus. Those three things combined uh, is God's testifying to that message. Those three things are the water, the spirit, and the blood. And they all point to Jesus. How they do it is the bit that I'm not entirely clear on. How and why John chooses water and blood, I don't know. Somehow, water is pointing to Jesus, the blood is pointing to Jesus, and the Spirit is pointing to Jesus. Do, do let's talk afterwards, if you would like to. And here's what makes me think that what I'm saying, what I've said thus far, is, is, the, is moving in the right direction. Uh, is because of verse 11. Because in verse 11, look what it says. After, after a bunch of things being said about the testimony, you finally get the, the statement in verse 11. And this is the testimony. So at least what is important here is that John is saying, let me just clarify what that, what that testimony, what that message is. And then, here's, and then he gives it to us. God has given us eternal life 
And this life is in his son. So that's the message. And somehow, God testifies to that through water, blood, spirit. I'm going to leave that there. But let's, but let's focus then on what that testimony is for now. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And then John comes around in verse 12 to tell us the same thing another way. Whoever has the Son has life. Well, of course, because this life is in the Son. So whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so this is where we're going to just uh, spend our last few minutes thinking. Because I think where John, um, where all of John's arrows go, as it were, is to this message that God has given to us eternal life and that life is in his Son. Everything that we want, ultimately, what's driving the desire for things, we're looking for life. True life and life forever, John says, is in Jesus. And it's a gift. It's not something that uh, we deserved. John has already said at the beginning, whoever says, uh, whoever claims to have no sin is a liar. John's already spoken about needing uh, an advocate, somebody who speaks on our behalf with the Father. John has already spoken about Jesus being a sacrifice for our sins. And so this is not something we deserve. And you can see it there in the text. God has given us eternal life. It's a gift that God has given to us and he's given it to us in his son. And so I think where John's going is he wants them to know that if you have the Son, by faith, you have everything you need. Everything you need is in the Son. Everything points to the Son. So don't move away from the Son. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you do have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, please help us to lift up our eyes to things that are truly important. We so desperately... Uh, want 
uh, to hear things and um, and have things from you that are very now. We want quick tips for how to succeed in life. And we're slow to come around to uh, the blessings that you give to us. We're slow to lift our eyes to the world to come. We're slow to feel uh, the beauty of forgiveness of sins and of the free gift of life. So please help us, Father. Please work in our hearts. Please lift our eyes to the beauty of these things. We pray that you'd give us the same, um, the same heart, the same thinking that John, that we would rejoice in knowing that we have life in your Son. Amen.